Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Uh, well, there's something I actually don't know if I've shared with you guys uh, about myself in the three years that I've been at Northside. The Northside seniors have heard this before. Uh, I was invited to come and share a bit of my life story when I first started at Northside. So you guys are in the loop. Uh, the rest of us, I'm not sure if, if I've shared this, is that I, um, I nearly became an opera singer. I, everyone's like, wow, what? Okay, I haven't shared that before. I, um, so 2008, I was singing at a friend's wedding and I sang, uh, you know, Ave Maria? It's just, I'm, I'm not going to sing it. I was, I was, <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I sang Ave Maria at this friend's wedding in this little Catholic chapel uh, that was attached to a very big Catholic church in Parramatta. And I, stand, I stood at the side in my red dress and I performed Ave Maria. And, uh, and I had ummed and ahed about whether I wanted to pursue a career in singing. And, uh, and at the end, and I'd kind of thought, oh, no, I don't think I want to. And I was about to start at Bible college. And, uh, by the, but by the end of the wedding, I had so much feedback from people saying, you really, I think maybe you should think again about pursuing this, that I went and teed up a, a lesson with an opera teacher from the Conservatorium of Music in Sydney, and, and she basically said to me, look, you've got a lot of things that you need to work on, but you do have the voice to do this, to be an opera singer if you wanted to. You'd need to learn the piano and all sorts of things, but you have the voice. If you wanted to go for it, then you could. And so I was faced with this decision, do I train to become an opera singer or do I train to become a pastor? Now, Case in point, you can see that I chose uh, the latter. I trained to become a pastor. But if I had gone down the opera route, what that would have involved was an audition in front of a panel of people who knew a lot about classical singing as an audition to get into the con. Uh, and that performance, that audition, because of the nature of the audience, I would have approached it very differently to how I would have approached the wedding. I would have approached that differently, again, if I'd been singing in the lounge room to my parents uh, or if I'd been performing at a nursing home for residents there all those types of performances, I would have approached differently because of the nature of my work, uh, of the nature of the audience. At the same time, I was working in business-to-business -business sales as my former life. I only did it for one year, and then I gave up. And um, but I, so I was this little, like, 22-year-old, 23-year-old little thing trotting around the city in my little black suit and my handbag and my laptop and my coffee and sort of loving it for a year. And um, and in that time, I was learning that people like people like themselves. And, and so I was learning to adjust my sales style based on the, my audience, based on the person that I was uh, selling to because people like people like themselves. And, um, and so I was learning that your audience matters. After that, I fell into marketing and I learned the lesson once again that uh, when you're marketing to somebody, your audience shapes everything. It shapes the way that you, uh, you carry out that, that marketing piece. The same if you're writing a report, the same if you're a politician, uh, the same no matter what, what you're doing or carrying out uh, as, a, as a piece of work, your audience matters and it shapes everything. Now, what I would like to suggest this morning for us in this series of work that we are doing uh, at Northside here is that whatever work God has given you to do, whether it's uh, volunteering for Lifeline, uh, whether it is as this Scottish woman I met recently over in the States, she worked for, she volunteered in her neighbourhood for Keep Scotland Beautiful and they looked, they basically adopted all the garden beds in their community and they kept them beautiful and they planted flowers and they went around and just trimmed everything and kept Scotland beautiful. Whatever kind of, of work it is that God has given you to do, uh, the audience that you have in mind as you approach that work will completely shape and orient the way in which you approach that work. 
because audience matters. Uh, Here are some examples of how this can play itself out uh, in different types of people who have different audiences. Uh, See if you can recognise some of these people from uh, from your life. You've got uh, the people pleaser who loses their unique voice and runs themselves into the ground because they're so desperate to earn the approval of their boss. You've seen that person? That's a particular type of audience that shapes the way you conduct your work. The person with unattainably high standards who always feels they fall short because they carry around this critical parent on their shoulder who they, were never able, they never felt they were good enough for. And so they're still trying to earn their approval and they carry around this audience with them that shapes the way they conduct their work. Could be the person who has overcorrected and given up trying to please anybody at all, and so they're willing to trample on anybody on their way to the top, uh, and they're willing uh, to only put efforts behind things that will personally benefit them. Or the extremely talented person who doesn't want to disappoint anybody's expectations of them, uh, and so they don't really apply themselves to anything and just coast through life. Or it might be the Christian who knows they are loved and knows they're valuable and is free to direct their energies into partnering with God to flourish the people and the places around them. Do you see how audience matters? How it totally shapes and orients the way in which you conduct your work. So what about you? Whether you're a stay-at-home mum or a stay-at-home dad, whether you work in the corporate world, uh, whether you are retired, whether you're a student studying for exams, whether you're on the morning tea roster at Northside, who is your, who is your audience as you carry out that work? Who do you have in mind? If you were performing that work up on a stage, who would be sitting in your audience? Who are you working for? It's really important as Christians that we stop and ask ourselves this question because our capacity to carry out our work in a way that is aligned with our identity as children of God, aligned with our identity as the ones who God has commissioned to carry out his flourishing work in the world around us, uh, has everything to do with who our audience is. To be a Christian is to undergo such a radical change that we are set free from self-interest, which binds us up and sets us free to live for God. Tessa led us so beautifully just now in fixing our eyes on Jesus, worshipping him, to live in such a way that that becomes our whole life and he becomes our audience in the way that we work and that in turn shapes the way that we work. It means that to be a Christian is to undergo a change of audience. Verse 7, we're going to look at more of the passage, but verse 7, I think, sums it up perfectly. This is the kernel of it, I think. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people. Now, if we're not attentive to this church, what happens is that we drift. Same with anything. If you're not attentive, or if I'm not attentive to my cleaning in my apartment, it drifts. You know what I mean by it drifts. It gets out of hand. If you're not attentive to your hair over time, it grows and gets out of control. Uh, things drift in our life, if, our health. Things drift in our life if we're not attentive to them. And the same when it comes to our audience, who we're living for, who we're working for. And so today I want to be kind of like a health check. This is None of this is designed to be a guilt trip in any way whatsoever. But we need to be aware that when we read the Bible, Bible, what we're doing is we think we're reading it, but actually it's reading us. 
So just, I feel like the Bible should come with a warning label. If you really read it, if you really want to know what's in there, you need to be prepared for it to read you, to open up your life to it and for it to kind of be a health check for you to see where you're tracking spiritually and is your audience, uh, is your audience God or has your audience drifted somewhat? And so today is us spending some time paying attention to that, uh, to see if our audience is God or if it's drifted. And so this is kind of like swimming as well as a health check. It's come mixing my metaphors, but it's kind of like swimming at a Sydney beach in summer. I'm going to throw that in because it's, I need anything I can get to get me through this winter. It's been so cold so far. So let's imagine everyone, we're swimming at a Sydney beach in summer and, uh, and we look up to see where the flags are. And right, what happens if you, I can be very inattentive and get carried away talking to whoever I'm talking to and forget about my surroundings. So what can happen easily for me is I find myself down the beach and I need every now and then frequently to look up to see where the flags are so that I can come up again. And so what I want to do this morning in, in these next moments as part of this sermon is to put two, fl- two flags in the beach for us, things that we can look up to so that we can have a kind of health check, spiritual health check for our hearts to say, have I drifted? To what extent is Jesus still my audience when it comes to my working or am I working for other people or other things? So there's two types of flags. One, the first one is a practical one. If I am working for Jesus, what kinds of things ought I see in my work? What kinds of, how should I be working practically? what would it look like for a Christian in the workplace, both a worker and an employer? And what would it look like in the workplace if I was working for God? And that gives us a kind of flag to consider ourselves against as a health check. And then secondly, once we've done that, uh, some questions on a heart level as a flag for us to think about what other audiences uh, might be impacting the way that we work so that we can find freedom um, to work for Jesus and live, uh, live for Jesus uh, in freedom. So firstly, that's where we're going. Firstly, uh, what do we learn from this passage about practically what we could expect to see in our working if God is our audience? Now, I need to give you a little bit of context for this to set this up. Uh, the, this book of Ephesians has six chapters. The first three, uh, Paul, the writer, is talking about this glorious Christian story within which we find ourselves. And the second half, this is at the end of the second half, is talking about the practical application of that. What then can we expect for the way that we live our lives? How ought we then live our lives given that this is the context within, this is the story within which we find ourselves. And Paul's very clever. He knows that if you're going to find some tensions in your life, if you're going to come across some relational stresses, chances are that in your family, the beginning of the reading that Annie gave us, or they're going to be in your workplace, right? Chances are, if you've got some tensions, those are going to be two of the big places. We're going to focus just on the workplace, the workplace section, which picks up in verse five, and it starts like this. Slaves. Now, actually, we have to stop there because I know that if I don't address this slaves bit, half of you are going to jump ship and you're going to be like, what does the Bible say about slavery? Is he condoning it? it, Why doesn't he criticise it and shut it down? So I just want to address this very briefly and then we can all continue on together uh, because I think it is important to know what God is a God of justice and I think it's important that we address this and know what uh, what is going on in this situation because you'd be right, Paul doesn't criticise slavery here as an institution. 
but nor does he uh, condone it. Uh, and so what is happening in the context uh, is that um, at the time there were about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. So basically one half of the population was enslaved to the other half of the population. It was the way that things were. People didn't necessarily question it. It was just part of the fabric of their society. It was quite a different type of slavery to what we often think about when we think about slavery these days um, in the wake of the African slave trade. And it was, it was not race-based and it often wasn't lifelong. So it was a different type of slavery. And yet many people, it still, it still was not a good thing. Many people still treated their slaves terribly. People were still treated as possessions. Even someone as smart as Aristotle, I don't want to misquote him, so I'll, I'll read it. I don't want to misquote Aristotle. Considered slaves to be simply living tools or a possession with a soul. It's not, this, is not an, this is not a nice picture. Uh, and, and yet what is happening here, when, you've, when, you, when we get through the passage, you see that what Paul speaks into slavery, he speaks to workers and uh, slaves and he speaks to masters. And the way that he addresses them levels out the power imbalance in such a way that eventually it led to the demise of slavery in their context. It's a beautiful thing, but it was a long fuse. In fact, John Stott said this, um, what Paul does about levelling out these relationships is that it lit a fuse which at long last led to the explosion which destroyed it. I love that. It's, it is powerful and this dynamic that we're about to see has such significant implications for the levelling out of working relationships and bringing about a context in which um, God's kingdom really can be seen and experienced. Um, Okay, I just wanted to address that because I think that that's, that's important. And so while this, while this uh, passage was written to Christian slaves and Christian uh, master, slave masters, uh, really the application for us today is workers, whatever your work might be, whether it's in an employment sense or not, uh, and employers or people who, who give out work uh, to be done. And so that's the application for us today. It's workers and employers. And God speaks to both of those through Paul here to say, this is, if you're a Christian, this is how this will look like if God is your audience. And there's some, there's some powerful applications, both for those in an employment context and those uh, not. And Paul says to both workers and employers, uh, your task is to discern the figure of Christ behind your boss, behind your earthly master, behind your employer. Discern the figure of Christ and work first and foremost for him. And so when you're serving uh, your earthly master, when you're serving your boss, really know that you are serving Christ. It's a whole new orientation and motivation with so much power. And so first of all, he says to workers, when you serve your employer well, you serve Jesus well. This is what it looks like when you're serving God well. When you serve your employer well, you serve Jesus well. Verse 5 goes on, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you'd obey Christ. When your audience is God, you present your work not to your employer ultimately, but to God. Do you see how that audience can shape your motivation and shape your experience of work? And so then, given God sees your heart, conduct yourself with integrity, without ulterior motives or hypocrisy. Be courteous and respectful, ethical and cheerful, serving your employer with the same respect that you would show Jesus himself. 
Imagine that there's somebody in the world who you never would expect to meet, but there's somebody that you hold in such high esteem, uh, somebody that you have respected for a really long time, and you get the opportunity to have them round to your house for a cup of tea or whatever. Cup of tea is my specialty. I don't know what your specialty. I'm not really a cook, so English breakfast tea is probably about as good as it gets if you come round to my house, but I'll make you a great cup of English breakfast tea. But if they come round to your house, you get to serve them your specialty. And wouldn't you do that with such respect and such, oh, I get to do this for this person. As if you were, it's, that's the kind of awe and respect with which we would serve Jesus. And so what Paul is saying here, when it comes to your earthly master, when it comes to your employer, serve them with that type of attitude. With sincerity, wholeheartedly, knowing that it's because you, you are empowered and enabled to do that. That's a hard, that's a hard call, depending on who your boss is. But you are empowered to do that because you have the audience who is God and you respect and love him and that empowers you then to serve and work wholeheartedly at work. That's what it looks like when God is your audience. And Paul goes on, Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but don't you love how applicable the Bible is, even though this was written 2,000 years ago? But as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever they do, whether they're slave or free. Now, I don't want you to put up your hand, but we all know that person, right, who works only works hard when the boss is in the office. Everybody, there's lots of smiles. Everybody knows, everybody has experienced that or, or worked alongside people like that. Uh, and uh, the idea, Paul is saying, if you are working to please God, he sees your heart all the time. And so work for your earthly master, work for your boss, your employer, uh, knowing that you are working for Jesus who is always present with you. Um, you're no longer working to attract human attention or favour. Uh, Because you know that you already have God's attention and favour, that you are wholly accepted and wholly loved and that you have nothing to prove and you don't need to justify yourself. Now, I'm pretty sure Jesus would be a very kind and fair boss. Uh, He would treat those under his authority with love and tenderness and gentleness and care. And I'm pretty sure he would also expect a full day's work (laughs) if he were your boss, that he would expect diligence and productivity. Now, I think this, this point that Paul is making here has, has particularly big implications if you're not in an employment context, if you don't have a boss who is, who is around the office sometimes to watch your work, because there is not that, that is not that motivation, you know what I mean? Like, so sometimes if you're out, if you are this, this Scottish lady, Karine, and you're, you're making Scotland beautiful again, there is, there is um, working for the Lord becomes extra important. Having him as your audience becomes extra important in order to serve well. And so I think that this has, this has application and significant implications, whether you're in an employment position or not, that having an audience of Jesus motivates us and shapes the way that we work, shapes our work ethic in such powerful ways. And what happens when you're serving wholeheartedly is even mundane tasks can get caught up into this higher preoccupation of pleasing God, this higher preoccupation of serving him. And it shapes the whole way that we can conduct our work. And verse 8 shows us that we also know we have this unimaginable reward coming for us in the future in Jesus when we are serving him. 
And so we don't need to be unduly tied to working for the amount that we're being uh, compensated in our earthly lives. We know that we have a reward coming from Jesus because he sees every moment and sees our hearts. So that's part one of this first flag uh, in the beach, what Paul says to workers. But he also has a word to employers, which I love. And I think that if every employer, every manager, every leader in Sydney were like this, our city would probably look quite different. And so what does it look like to manage and lead when you are working for God and not for people? What does it look like? How would you know if God is your audience? Well, you would treat your staff with the same respect that you hope to, you hope to receive from them. Verse 9, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. It's so interesting. You've got to look back over then what Paul has said to the workers, to the employees, to see how how they're supposed to be treating their master. And the masters are supposed to treat them in the same way. God shows no favoritism. Treat them in the same way. Treat them with the respect that you would have them treat you. And do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism with him. There's no favoritism. This this means that you can't get away with thinking that you're more important than your staff because of your position in the company hierarchy. It's not the way that God sees it. Everybody is equal before him. When your audience is Jesus, there is no room for manipulation or threats in your management style because no matter your role, uh, you all have the same master. You're all accountable to the same person. There's no room for privileged superiority or an abuse of power. And you act with the greatest respect for the needs of your employees. You don't think of yourself as a better person than them. And you look for ways to further the interests of those under your leadership. This is when God is, God is your audience. You take an, an active interest in their whole lives, not just their productive work capacity. You're known for being fair, caring, committed to others, and you show sympathy and offer forgiveness. I think that's what Jesus would be like as our master, which is the whole point. Christians should look different in the workplace because a different audience shapes the way that we conduct our work. Christians should look different in voluntary roles because a different, a different audience shapes the way that we approach our work. We should look joyful when we are serving as part of our roster at church because we are working and serving God and that shapes the way that we do our work. So I hope that's, that's, that's helpful to see practically uh, what it looks like when God, is, when God is your audience. And the reason that I set, those up as, set that up as a flag on the beach for us to look at, as I said, is not in, in order that it's a guilt trip. It's in order for us to come back to and say, as a health check, to let the Bible read us, to, to let the Holy Spirit examine our hearts and see if God really, if we are working for God, if he really is our audience, or if something else has set itself up and grabbed our attention that we've come to find ourselves working for. Now, if you're like me, and in preparing for this, I have felt that kind of nudge of the Holy Spirit and this conviction to say, oh, do you know what? I think I've drifted. I think there are other audiences that have grabbed my attention. There are other people and things that I find myself working for instead of Jesus alone. And as a result, I find myself anxious and I find myself tied up in knots. I find myself wondering, oh, was that good enough? Am I good enough? Rather than working for God who gives me infinite value. And I know that I'm enough before anything that I ever do. And so if, like me, you have a sense listening to what it looks like when God is your audience, have a sense that maybe you've drifted a little bit, even one degree, 
I want you to ask these questions of yourself. This is the second flag in the beach. This is the heart questions to think about what might that audience be? What might the audience be uh, that I am working for uh, instead of God? So here are some questions that might help you see what's going on in your heart a bit more clearly. Uh, Firstly, whose opinion matters most to you? Uh, Who are you striving to please? Who are you doing all of this for? Whatever all of this might be to you, what are you doing all who are you doing all of this for? Who's well done would mean more to you than anybody else's? Who do you long to hear well done from? Who do you look to in order to find out if you're doing okay? And whose imaginary criticisms pop into your daydreams? Does that happen to you guys as well? You'll just be having a little daydream and you'll just imagine somebody criticising you that, and you're like, why does that even matter? Why does that, pop into you? why does that pop into my head? Maybe I'm the only one that happens to. There are a few people who had a little giggle at Taramara, so I'm presuming that uh, it's the same, that's the same case here. I think that's an indicator of who might subtly be our audience, who we might actually be wanting to please and to approve of us. And so, Christian, have you drifted in your awareness of your audience of one, your audience of God, the one that you work for? Can you discern his loving figure behind your earthly masters so that you can move through your work with more joy and more freedom, more wholeheartedly, more cheerfully, more lovingly? Can you say that Jesus is your audience as you work? And if not, the question that we have to ask ourselves is what or who is your master, really? What or who are you serving? What or who is driving you? If not God, who gives us great freedom in our work. Now, please hear me again. This is not in any way intended as a guilt trip. This is intended as a visit to the doctor with Jesus for him to assess our hearts and help us see judgment-free where we are at in order that he can come in and minister to us and help us to live in the freedom that he has designed us to live in with him as our audience. Any other master than Jesus will keep you bound up in knots, but serving Jesus, living for Jesus taking that more beautiful moment of worship that we had before and expanding it out to cover your whole life so that you not only sing to him on a Sunday, but you work for him on a Monday. That's what this is about. There is a great freedom and a joy and a beauty in that. And so I'm going to give us just a minute of reflection because I'm conscious that that is uh, a lot that I've just given you. And so I'm going to give us a minute just to digest and process uh, and reflect on what you've heard. And then I will, I'll pray and I'll lead us in an extended time of reflection over communion. Father, I thank you that you give us work to do. That you invite us to participate in your work, God, of restoring all things and bringing beauty and justice and creativity and wholeness to the world around us. I thank you that you you assign us roles and you give us tasks to do, God, whatever they might be. We thank you for that. We thank you, God, that it is you who gives us that work. And we're sorry, Lord, for the times we've taken our eyes off you and we've been motivated by people other than you. We've got ourselves in knots. God, I thank you that you always forgive us. 
And I ask now, Lord, that you would bring us back up the beach. We choose to set our eyes on you again. God, let our worship on Sunday be worship on Monday, God. Workship, as I've heard it. Working for you, God. Motivated by you, shaped by you, our audience of one. Would you become so glorious in our sight, God, that nothing else could take our, take our eyes off you. Thank you for all you've done for us in Jesus. Thank you for the way that you've set us free from self-interested lives, that we can live now for something beyond ourselves, something bigger than ourselves. And so we choose to leave that behind again this morning, God. As we come back, God, as we change our audience so that we might serve you in our working. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.